So last week I started a new series called The Parables, and it's basically I'm going to teach through the parables of Jesus, mostly for the spring and through the summer. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look through at a grouping of parables. So you'll notice when you study through the parables, you'll see that some of them are in groups. So today we have the parable of the weeds, which Jesus actually explains. Before he explains the parables, that parable, we have two little, very short parables. One is the mustard seed and the other is the leaven. In between, because it falls in between the explanation, so Jesus says the parable of the weeds, then has these two little parables and then explains the parable of the weeds. It kind of suggests that these parables all group together and they all kind of have the same focus. So basically, all three of these parables are teaching the same thing, and that is the enemy, the devil and his demons, will be working against the growing church, okay? The enemy, Satan and his demons, will be working against the growing church, meaning God's people, while we're here on earth, okay? I touched on this topic last week, the topic of spiritual warfare. I briefly touched on this, and we're going to take a deeper look at the topic of spiritual warfare today. Now, there are two extremes when it comes to spiritual warfare, and uh, basically the first is to be ignorant that's even happening, okay? These are believers who maybe just don't realize or think about or know about the fact that Satan and his demons are real and want to tear down the work of God, okay? This is a reality. This is a truth from the scriptures. It's going on actually right now as we speak, okay? Basically, what's happening is Satan and his demons want to make the workers of God, us Christians, ineffective in bringing the gospel to the world around us, okay? Satan and his demons cannot do much to us as believers, like they can't possess us or anything like that, but they can do a lot to affect the work that we do for God in getting the gospel out. So the first is, like I said, be ignorant that this, this is happening. The second is to blame everything on spiritual warfare. You might know Christians like this. This is a person that's so into spiritual warfare, every time they look, they see a demon around every corner, so to speak. They get a flat tire, and they're like, the devil made my tire flat. You know, I mean, they're like that person. You're like, what's going on here, okay? So here's the thing. They have an unhealthy infatuation with spiritual warfare. So as believers, what we have to do is we have, a, have to have a healthy, biblical, balanced approach to the fact that Satan and his demons are working against God and his people, but not everything that goes wrong is the work of Satan. You get that? Okay. So this is happening, but not everything that goes wrong is the work of Satan. You have to realize that Satan and his demons are powerful, but not all powerful. Okay. You got to get that. They're powerful, but they're not all powerful. They don't have the power of God. And when we attribute too much to the enemy, we're actually giving the enemy more power and influence than they actually have. So basically what's going to happen here is this. So what Jesus teaches in these parables, he makes us aware that this is happening. He makes us aware that this is happening. But interestingly enough, he also tells us ultimately he will take care of this problem once he returns. Okay, you get that? He tells us he's going to take care of this spiritual warfare problem when he returns. But we have to be on guard and aware this spiritual warfare is going on. 
So we're going to pick up in Matthew 13, verse 20 through 30, 24 through 30. That's going to be listed in your, in your handout there. The other scriptures won't be. Um, but it says this, in Matthew 13, 24 through 30, it says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed seed, good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. Some of you are going through this right now if you're dealing with your lawn, right? This is like lawn season, okay? You're like, where are these weeds coming from, okay? And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along, the, along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So now I'm going to jump down to uh, verse 36, which is not in your handout, but it explains this parable. And it says this, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the son of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So the first thing I want to do is point out some symbolism that Jesus said. He said the good seed are the people that respond to the gospel. Okay, so the good seed are the, the Christians, okay? The people that respond to the gospel. The people that respond to the fact that we are sinners and we need a savior. Jesus is that savior. He died in our place for our sins. He rose from the grave to prove that he is God, to prove that he can save us from our sins. And the scripture tells us all who believe will have eternal life. Okay, the, the good seed are the people that responded to that message. Okay, maybe that's you. I hope that's you. You're a Christian. You believe that Jesus is your savior. And the truth is what he says is these are the people that are in this world that hear this message, that respond to this message. The field is the world in which the believers go and spread this gospel. And collectively, we become the church when we believe, okay? So we're not just Orchid River Baptist Church, right? As believers, we're the church collectively around the world. We're believers. So the good, the, you know, the, the sower goes out into the world and tells other people about Jesus. The weeds are the unbelievers, but in this case, the weeds are the unbelievers that the enemy will actually use 
to contaminate the field and the church. So the enemy will use these unbelievers to contaminate the world and the church. Now, when Jesus comes back, he's going to separate believers from unbelievers. Believers will receive eternal life and unbelievers will be eternally separated from God for eternity. So the most basic point of this parable is this. As believers, we need to realize that Satan and his demons will try to infiltrate and sabotage the work of the church, meaning the work of getting the gospel message out. In many cases, he will have, Satan and his demons will have people posing as true believers within the church. So we, as believers, need to be careful. Now, the only way, you have to understand this, the only way the church will ever be perfectly pure is when Jesus actually comes again and separates the believers from the unbelievers. That's why there's no perfect church, okay? Maybe you've been to other churches. Maybe you've noticed in our church, there's no perfect churches, okay? There's always going to be problems and issues. You're always going to have interpersonal issues and different things like that. So basically what happens here is what Jesus is saying in this parable is believers and unbelievers will exist together. And there's really nothing that's going to change that until Jesus actually comes and separates us. So then Jesus tells two more parables, and then we're going to get a little bit more into the spiritual warfare uh, conversation. So he says this in Matthew 13, 31 through 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in the branches. So now this, this parable says there is a small seed, and that is the message. The message grows and becomes a large tree, a large group of people known as what? The church. The birds that come and make their nests are those that are unbelievers that come and hang out in the church. But as we saw in the parable of the sower, remember the birds were the enemy in the parable of the sower. So basically what it's saying here is the same concept, okay? The seed grows becomes larger like Christianity. I mean, you remember when Jesus came and died on the cross, like how many followers did Jesus have at first before he died? He started with 12, okay? And then obviously it grew and grew and grew and grew. And now we know it as Christianity, okay? There was no Christianity before Jesus actually came and died on the cross because Christian means follower of Christ. So then what happens is this. It says the birds come and make nests and kind of hang out, okay? So do you see what this is saying here? This is saying that unbelievers will oftentimes come and hang out in the church, okay? And, you know, they might maybe even think they're a Christian. They might think, oh, I go to church. I'm a good person. I'm nice. I do good. I try to be the best person, uh, best version of me that I possibly can. But maybe they don't have true faith in Jesus. So maybe they're even ignorant to the fact that they're not even a Christian yet because they haven't trusted in Jesus. They're still working on their own merit. They're still basically thinking they're earning their own way into heaven. 
So finally, the last parable is just the one verse, and it deals in verse 33. It says this, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it all leavened. So basically, again, small growth. So leaven is something small that grows. So we have this truth, that the gospel message started small and grew. And the truth is that Satan and his demons are enemies that want to bring this down. So as believers, in our own strength, here's what we have to realize. We can't fight and ward off Satan and his demons. Okay, We can't, we can't ward them off. They're going to do their work. This, during the church age, they are going to do their work. Only Jesus can put an end to their work. That's why we call it the church age. We're called to go and preach the gospel and grow the church in a hostile environment until Jesus comes. And you might really feel that, right? You're, you're called to go and tell other people about Jesus in a hostile environment. I mean, realistically, I mean, when you're, if you're honest with yourself, we come with a very unpopular message to this world, which is always a head shaker to me because it's the best news you've ever heard in your life, isn't it? that God loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. But for some reason, the world does not want to accept that. You'll talk to people and they'll say, eh, I don't, I don't want religion. Or well, they'll make any type of excuse. Or, you know, they'll say, like, I believe in science rather than, you know, God. And you know, they'll, they'll say all different things. So now that we know this, what do we do? Okay, so these parables only tell us that Jesus will take care of the enemy when the time comes, but they do not teach us how to deal with the enemy daily. The good news is that other scriptures do. So what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of our time dealing with that so that we know what to expect when it comes to spiritual warfare. Okay, Dealing with these issues so we know what to expect when spiritual warfare arises or when we see what's going on. So the first thing we need to realize is this. We need to realize the enemy's intention. We need to realize the intention of Satan and his demons. And I'm going to read from 1 Peter verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. It says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Then in John 10, it says this. John 10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So let me just tell you, the devil's intention is always bad. Okay, It's always bad. Devour, steal, kill destroy. That's the intention of the enemy. Knowing that, we have to come to the conclusion that sin and sinful things are the same way. Do you realize when you're drawn off and, 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 and attracted to and tempted to and then get involved in sin, sin's purpose or sin's effect is to devour, steal, kill, and destroy, okay? It's the enticement that you're drawn away and then you get involved in it. Some of you realize this. You're like, I got involved in it. I thought it was going to be good, but it wasn't. Or maybe it was good just for a momentary time, but then the consequences and the ramifications and what it did to your family and your friends and your reputation and your job or whatever it was, you realize, man, that wasn't worth it. 
I mean, this is, is some of you here that are like maybe my age and up, you realize this, you know, we got to teach this to the next generation because these kids are walking around like, oh, I just do whatever I want. I just, you know, live like this, do this, do this. And there's no consequences. But then as you're older, you realize, man, I wish, I wish they knew what I know about getting involved in something like that and how unhelpful it's going to be. Sin is not good for us, and as tempting as it may be, it will eventually leave us in a place that will harm us. Sin and sinful activities will harm us physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. So here's what happens. One of the ways the enemies will work, the enemy will work, is this, is by having unbelievers as part of the church. Okay, like the birds that made their nests in the tree in the parable or the weeds that came up in that good soil. Okay, the weeds that came up in the field. We may never know who a true believer is. Okay, we have to take people at their word. Right. We have to take people at their word. But here's what's going to happen. Sometimes the enemy will use people in your life to actually get you off track. And you might even know some of those people. And I don't want to scare you and be like, you know, like you walk into church like, oh, okay, who's the believer? Who's not the believer? Okay. But here's the thing. What Jesus is saying is believers and unbelievers will be in the same world and sometimes will be in the same church. And sometimes the enemy will actually use those unbelievers to kind of get off, get us off track. Which brings us to the next thing that we have to realize when it comes to spiritual warfare. We need to test the teachers. Okay, we need to test the teachers. And now most of you are saying, well, don't teachers give tests? Yeah, but you need to test the teachers as well. Sadly, but expectedly, the enemy can plant false teachers among the church. You probably heard of this before. You may have even seen it before. You may maybe turn on the TV and and see like, you know, pastors preaching and stuff. And you're like, that sounds good, but it doesn't sound right. Have you ever been there before? Okay. I'm not going to tell you what channel and what time, but you can find it. Okay. You might be like, that sounds good, but it doesn't sound right. Do you realize this happened in the early church? This is not a new thing. This has been happening for 2,000 years. In the early church, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15, said this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. So now Paul's reminding them, there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be people that you kind of have to like fact check and like check. Okay, is is what they're teaching 100 percent true there? And in. In the end, obviously, in the end of this passage, he said they're going to get what they deserve, okay? Their end will correspond with their deeds, okay? God's going to ultimately take care of them. But then we have to ask this question. Well, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? Well, we need to test them by what they teach, okay? First John 4 says we, we learn that the ultimate test of the teachers is what they teach about Jesus, 
the ultimate test of the teacher is what they teach about Jesus. If the teachers do not teach a true gospel, it is a false gospel. Okay, so then you have to look and say, what do they teach about Jesus? What, what are they saying about Jesus, okay? Are they, are they saying, like, Jesus loves for you and, and he died for you, but you know what? You're not a sinner. You're, you know, inherently a good person, so you don't need to worry about it too much. I mean, Jesus loves you and he died for you, but don't worry about the sin, okay? Well, here's the problem. If you don't admit you're a sinner, you're delusional, okay? Basically, you're saying, I don't need a savior, so we have to look and see what the teachers teach. We have to test the teachers. Now, some of you are thinking, do I have to test you, Pastor Mike? And I'm like, yeah, you do, okay? That's why you need to know your Bible. You need to study your Bible. If you hear something that sounds a little off, you need to check into it, okay? That is what Christians do. The Apostle Paul says that. And, you know, that, that we have to test, you know, the, the teachers, Along with testing the teachers, we need to watch out for lies. Now, in John 8, 44, it says this, When Satan lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Any of you like being lied to? No, it's not on my list of things, okay? And if you parent, you know the feeling of being lied to, okay? And you teach your kids from a very young age, like, tell the truth, tell the truth. And you tell the truth, and things are not going to go as badly as if you lie, and then I catch you because you're a bad liar anyway, okay? So here's the truth about Satan. He's actually the father of lies, so he's good at it. Do you know one of the biggest lies in our culture is right now? and tries to trap the church into right now, the biggest lie in our culture right now that I can identify, and it tries to trap us as believers into, is saying this, it's all about love. Have you heard that? Okay, I've heard it many times. And you know what? They'll say things like, the church should love everyone. The church should be a place where everyone feels love. And this sounds great, right? So there's truth in that. The church should be a place where everyone feels love. But here's what happens. It's false when people look at the church and say things like this. Because you call what I am doing a sin, that means that you don't love me. And therefore, you are a bad Christian, and Jesus would not treat people like that. Have you heard this argument before? Because you call what I do sin, you are an unloving person. Do you realize that that sounds so good, okay? That just seems like an angel of light, like it's all about love. It doesn't matter. It's love wins, and they'll say things like that. But here's the problem. There's a few problems, actually. The first is they don't know Jesus, so they don't know what Jesus actually says. You know, I love when people try to tell me what Jesus would do or what Jesus actually says. And I'm like, you're actually wrong, okay? I actually know what Jesus says because I study his word and I learn what he says. And I don't add to it and I don't take away from it. Jesus does love everyone, but he also calls sin, sin. And sin, because he calls sin, sin... It's actually loving people enough 
to tell them they're going the wrong way. Do you remember the account in John chapter 8? There was a woman caught in adultery. The religious leaders dragged her out to Jesus and said, this woman deserves to be stoned because she committed adultery. And by the Levitical law, she actually did deserve to be stoned. Okay, they were right in their accusation. But do you remember what Jesus did? He crouched down. He started writing in the sand. Some theologians believe he was actually writing the names of the accusers and their sins. And they were like, what? (laughs) And then he said, you know, Whoever has no sin, you throw the first stone. They all started dropping their stones and left, right? Then he looks at the woman and says, has anybody condemned you? And she says, no, there's nobody here, okay? She got up and looked, and they're all gone. And Jesus says, neither do I. But do you know what he said to her? He said, go and sin no more. He didn't say, Well, looks like you could keep on living the life that you're living. Go find a couple more guys, okay? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, I love you, and you know what? I wouldn't want to stop you from doing what you feel like doing. No, he says, go and sin no more. Now, now we have to think about this really practically. Is it possible for this woman to go and sin no more? Of course not. But what he's telling her is saying, hey, listen, change your mindset. Don't live with the ideology that runs from guy to guy and think it's okay. It's not okay. You'll never be satisfied. You'll harm yourself and others. It's offensive to me and to the Father. And I didn't create you to live that way. It's almost as if Jesus is saying this. I love you too much to let you continue down that road. See, we can't start saying do whatever you want. And I won't confront you because it's all about love. That is a bold-faced lie. That would be like allowing your little child to do something dangerous that will harm them and say, I didn't try to stop them because I just love them so much. They wanted to go play in traffic. They wanted to swim in the river above the Niagara Falls. I just love that kid so much. I let him do it because I don't want to say no to them. Who is going to do that? But that's what our culture is trying to say when they promote this. It's all about love. It's foolish and wrong to accuse people of being unloving because they call sin, sin. But guess what? That's our culture that we live in. We become very unpopular when we start saying, this is sin, this is sin, this is sin. People are like, oh, those Christians, they're very unloving. Jesus does love, and part of that love is knowing what's best for us, and sin is not. So as believers, sometimes when we point out what is sinful, we can come, out, come off as judgmental, self-righteous, maybe even abrasive. People will argue, so we have to be careful not to fall into those traps and remember the final thing when it comes to spiritual warfare, and we have to have compassion for unbelievers. You know, whether they're in our church or outside our church, we have to have compassion for people that don't believe in Jesus yet. And here's one of the main reasons why. Do you realize that many people that don't believe in Jesus don't believe because they're spiritually blinded and there's actually spiritual warfare in their life? In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says this, in their case, the God of this world, talking about Satan right now, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So now, okay, now I'm coming and, and I'm talking to an unbeliever that just, they just don't seem to get it. Maybe they're arguing with you. Maybe they're abrasive towards you. Maybe they're accusatory towards you. Well, here's where you need to have compassion because it's so easy to just get mad and fight back. And I will tell you, one of the other things our culture has done, especially to the church, is it's gotten the church involved in this polarized culture, right? Us against them, them against us. Let's argue, let's fight. You believe this, I believe this. Let's fight. I can't stand you. I was actually listening to, uh, actually a surfing podcast that I listened to. And the one guy said, I can't believe the way our culture is. I have friends that they won't even sit down at Thanksgiving dinner with their family because they have different political beliefs and they say, I can't sit with these people and eat. It's disgusting. Can you imagine? Could you imagine cutting off family and friends because of your strong political belief? God help us. See, the truth is people are always going to argue. People will always fight. But as Christians, we have to have compassion and realize, you know what? They have spiritual blinders on. They need Jesus. They need the love of Christ. And Satan is doing the best he can to make them not see the truth about Jesus. So as believers, we need to be compassionate on those who do not believe so they can see the truth. Satan and demons are working to keep them blinded. They want them to see the church as an unloving place. They want them to be confused about what to believe. As believers, we need to do the best we can to be kind, to be gentle, to be respectful, so that we are compassionate, loving people that serve a God that has compassion for them. Remember, God does not hate them. He loves them. And what's going on now in our culture, in this church age, is Satan and his demons are trying to infiltrate, trying to mess the work up, trying to confuse people, trying to get people not to believe, trying to get believers to believe what the culture and what the world teaches rather than what Jesus actually says. So as the gospel message goes out, the church will grow bigger and the church will get will get more opportunities and the church there'll be more opportunities for the enemy to infiltrate and to try to confuse and to try to get people off track. But we're called to bring the gospel and that's the work of God that he wants us to do for our community.